0: Father, it has been sweet already to be here with my brothers and sisters in Christ, just to say hello, just to catch up, uh, to see old friends that were part of the significant parts of the body in times past. Lord, to meet new friends. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Um, we know that you're a God who speaks, and when you speak, things you spoke. Light in the darkness and there was great. Light. You spoke order in the chaos, and there was yet, yeah, Lord, since before, there's so much chaos around us, and yet, even in our own hearts. So we need to speak order and truth into our lives. People come in carrying so much stuff, physical stuff, mental stuff, familial stuff, word stuff, just stop Lord. And sometimes that stuff can look so big, so formidable, so intimidating, that we just need to look at it before. so things can shrink back Size, so we can see that even in the stuff you're at work you're at work for our good thank you father then for this time in the word I submit myself to you Lord I do not have the capacity to preach the power of the Holy Spirit we submit our hearts to you we do not have the capacity to respond as we ought apart from the Holy Spirit so spirit would you do your thing would you move in power if you the hearts of your people? Ask us in Jesus' name. Well, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to end last week's sermon right now. By the way, like three minutes into last week's sermon, I did not think I was going to get through last week with my voice. You were so patient. Hopefully, you can get a little of sense of what I attempted. I want to end it by calling your attention to uh, over back. here, brand new athletic time. shoes, a kind gift from my brother. I heard in recent weeks that someone was preaching uh, like about too. the body of Christ. He right, said, business The real 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 average real person buys athletic shoes or running shoes and never uses them for athletic or running purposes. I thought, Is that really true? That's the joke. I became an expert on Okay, that should help and that's come that, uh, out kind of that only 25% of people who buy athletic shoes or running shoes actually use them for those activities. And the analogy that this guy was making is the average Christian does not use their gifts for the good of the body. Mm-hmm. They're still making the packaging, unlaced in their closet somewhere. In other words, they have gifts... But they don't use them. And that's what we talked about last week, right? Jumping right in back to next, last week, 1 Corinthians 12. We all have good gifts, and the gifts are for the good of who? For the body. And so I just want to make an appeal to you with the voice that I do have right now to dive in. We need each other. And the way you discover your gift, by the way, is not to take some online spiritual gift finder test. Okay? I don't think that they add that back in the. Back in the uh, Bible days, even if they didn't have computers, I'm sure they didn't have that. They didn't even have that test document, right? No, the way you find your gifts is you just roll up your sleeves and you dive in where you might be needed. And that should be scary. I remember I had just become a Christian. I was in the Marine Corps. Susan and I were going to a small church plant off the front gate of Camp Lejeune. And my pastor, I was serving in various ways, said, Hey, uh, I'd like you to speak in a few Wednesday and I said, with well, all due respect, sir, he must be spoken okay, to. I'm not speaking, no way. No way. But he pressed on me, and I did it, and here I am, quarter century later, for better or for worse. So just dive in, Guess That's what I'm trying to say. Use your gifts. Every gift counts. And when you have a gift, and you don't use it for the good of the body, the body suffers. We need each other. That's week's message, okay? Now, switching. Uh, Symbols right here, you can see that small heart face. I am not oblivious to the fact that tomorrow is Valentine's Day. That's Susan little play last night called She Loves Me. It was a long play. It was a good play. It was a long <laughs> We're celebrating Valentine's Day ahead of time. It was a musical, so I was getting outside of my skill set. But it was fun. But great, great time. We are coming to the love. 16 times in this chapter, the Apostle Paul talks about love. And there probably, I would say hands down, is no more of a quoted or used passage during in weddings than in 1 Corinthians 13. In both religious weddings and non religious weddings, they inevitably quote 1 Corinthians 13. Somewhere around the world, four couples are getting married right now, and somebody is reading. And it's because of 1 Corinthians 13. It's quite powerful, isn't it? Powerful text. Beautiful text, poetic text. But I hate to be, actually, I don't hate to be that guy. I'll read that guy. It's taken straight out of context. There's this funny thing that 1 Corinthians 13 comes between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, which happen to be talking about family. Yes. Spiritual gifts, but far worse than taking that. I'm about that man. This kind of the chapter itself. But far worse than that is it being preached so often without the cross. If somebody were really listening when First Corinthians thirteen was read, they would have an Isaiah six. What was me? I'm a man from Elmer. Like, I my like, that. and you? bring the cross to bear, and the cross, by the way, we will see it right in the heart of this glorious chapter. Now, all that said, there is an application for 1st 13 for marriage, okay, and every other human relationship. In fact, I was thinking, I've been preaching the same wedding, you know, wedding, you know, wedding sermon for, like, 12 years. I, was about to tell her, I wrote a new one, so maybe I'll do it out of this chapter, chapter, in this But it's always smart to start with the context, Right? Every word in Scripture makes sense within the confines of a larger sentence. And every sentence makes sense within scripture within the larger context of a paragraph. And no, on no, no, right, in other words, context matters. Without the text, you're just a cop. We want context. Now, what's the context of 1 Corinthians 12? The abuse of spiritual gifts in the church of Corinth. Now, the gift of tongues and other gifts as They saw their gifts as merit badges, look at this, rather than service hours. So we've been slowly walking through these chapters. We saw 1 Corinthians 12, every member of the body gets a gift. So so he's like, stop trying to stratify and each other because it's all important. Then last week we looked at the illustration of how everyone gets a gift for the good of others. I said, as I just said a moment ago, pointing to these attitudes. We need each uh, other. Lace them up and get out. Of it. Next week, from 1 Corinthians fourteen, we're going to see the function of these gifts, namely the building up of the body. But today, we're going to dial in on the meat of this sandwich: the motivation for using our gifts. It must be the motivation of love. If you've been in this series of all First Corinthians, you know the church at Corinth reflected. Of court. They were all about excellency, doing things excellently. They loved excellent speech. Remember the oratory? People would travel around, not lying, grease themselves up, preach or speak on some topic. It didn't matter whether it was true, it just mattered how flowery they were in their speech. They loved their oratory. They cared about excellence in speech, they cared about excellence in smarts. They were always talking about wisdom in court, right? Only they were about the excellence of wealth. Even people at communion, chumping the poor people, people who had stuff, they were putting, they were flouting their wealth. They were all about so And they were all about service. Look at my flashy gifts as, opposed, as compared to your not so flashy gifts. So Paul basically is saying hey, listen, I know you all are about excellence. Let me tell you about true excellence last verse chapter 12 really should be part of chapter 13 the chapter division think comes from the middle ages it reads this way: <laughs> he said and i will show you a still more excellent way today i want to preach to you on the way of love that's the more excellent way 16 times as i just said the word love is in this chapter not eros romantic love not philo, which is brotherly love; not stormy, which is family love. all oh, people want to be sure, but agape love, God's highest form of love, self-giving, self-sacrificial love. And this chapter breaks down so easily. I hope you stay with me on this, so that we are wrought by the way of love. Number one, love is essential. Love is essential. That verse is one you. And what you're going to see in verses 1 through 3 is five if statements with three studying conclusions woven into those five if statements. According to verse 1, without love, it doesn't matter what you say or how well you pray. Look at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men, and of angels,
1: but have not love
0: of a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. Now, it could mean merely that somebody has incredible oratory, incredible speech giving skills. Man, you don't only speak with the tongues of men, Maybe you, you speak with the tongues of angels. You have a golden tongue. You can really preach, you can really speak, you can really communicate. It could be and not in there, we're going to into this next week. It could be referencing a form of speaking in tongues or praying in tongues. Now, whether he's talking about gifted preaching or gifted praying, what he is saying clearly is this without love, no matter how gifted you are, you sound like a noisy, calm, a clanging symbol. Those were the sounds of pain. If you were to go down to the Temple of Dionysus back in that day, you would find that they would in fact bang gongs together and clang cymbals together in hopes they would somehow uh, garner the attention of the gods. Much like way back in the Old Testament, remember the prophets of Baal? What did they do to get the attention of Baal? They would jump and shout and scream and cut themselves and do all that, hoping to gain the attention of God. they're gods. So what Paul is saying is, I don't care how well you can pray. I don't care what you say. If you don't have love, you're nothing You're nothing but a pagan. You sound like a pagan and you know what? You might even be a pagan. That's the part right there. Now listen to verse 2. Verse 2 makes it makes important here that without love, it doesn't matter what you know.
1: This is what he says in verse 2.
0: And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, what am I? No. I'm nothing. Listen, I can have supernatural knowledge. I can have the gift of wisdom. I can have prophetic capabilities. I can believe God for big things. And if I have that love, I'm big fat. Zero. Somebody says, You mean I can study the Bible faithfully? I can soak in noodles of theology. I can read the Westminster Confession of Faith and memorize it? And all the catechisms? And I can believe God for big things? And that means nothing? Yep, that's not what he just said. Big fat. Zero without love—that's pretty simple, right? Verse three advances on this. Without love, it doesn't even matter what you do. Look at verse three. If I give away all that I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, you can be this. You could be extremely sacrificial in your service. I mean, you could give everything that you call material. You can even give yourself, it says, right? You could give your body to be burned. But if you have not love, you gain nothing. So he says, What way is it? You mean to tell me, I can serve the church, I can serve my spouse. I can serve my kids, my siblings, my family, my friends, on and on. I can do everything that's right. And it can be all wrong. Yeah, that's what he's saying. without love. This passage reminds us that we can do a lot without love, can't we? You can preach without love. You can pray without love. You can study the Bible without love. You can leave a lesson without love. You can serve without love. You can sacrifice. You do a lot about love without love. I'm going to give you a really radical example, just to make it a very radical example. Do you remember 9 11? Seems like yesterday. That seems like forever ago. 9 11. What was it that compelled those men to go to such evil means, such sacrificial means, to accomplish such evil ends? Sacrificial means to accomplish evil What wasn't love? Was it? was hate and perhaps vainglory and promises in the afterlife and all of that. Point is you can do a lot of things, even sacrifice without the motivation of love. And so as Christians, we should ask ourselves, because we can do a lot without love, ask ourselves the question do I use, do I lay some my gifts? Out of love for God and love for my brothers. It may not be a bad exercise to plug whatever I perceive some of my gifts would be into this house. If I preach without love, I'm nothing but a noisy, long, long, and What's your thing. If I fill in the blank and have not love, I am nothing. If I fill in the blank without love, I gain nothing. That's what you said. Gift of, let's talk about gift the gift of communication. The gift of communication without love can just almost become a form of manipulation. Probably get around that. Or it can be just the garnering of validation. Wow, that person is really The gift of, I don't know, um, knowledge and knowing stuff. Without love can just be an outlet for, boy, look how smart she is. Oh, look how close to God she must be. She gets visions and all that. That's all it is. The gift of service, even without love, can just be an expression of sinful codependency. I need you to need me. That's where I find my identity and validation of value. Therefore, I want a service that I need. Or it can be an expression of superiority. See, here's, here's what Paul is saying in verse 1. Love is not just measured by what you say and how you pray. Love is not just measured by what you know. Love is not just measured by what you do. Motivation matters. The motivation for what we do. This is kind of cutting, isn't it? It's, it's really quiet, It should. Because Paul we'll said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I think it's verse to say, there's a day coming when all of our motivations are going to be laid open, laid bare. So right now, our prayer should be, oh Lord, help me to use my gifts selflessly out of love for you and out of love for others, as opposed to selfishly out of love for myself. If you think these verses leave you off, we you get to the next section. Just warning you. Love number one is marked by what? It's right. essential. Love is essential. Number two, verses four through seven, love is expressive. Verses four through seven, there are a collective 15 verbs. I, I, I'm no premier. Okay. But verbs. Those, they're about action, right? They're, there's some level of expression in them. And they're all present tense. He gives us 15 descriptions of love here. Two of them would be affirmations what love is, followed by eight negations what love is not, followed by five affirmations what love is. Let's just walk through these quickly. He says in verse four, love is patient. Literally, you might have in your translation "long suffering or actually, that's not a translation. Literally, in the original language, it means "long burning." Think about a log that on fire and it's just smoking slowly, smoldering. As compared, to, say you a pine branch, boom, you throw it the fire, what happens—flames run up because of the oil and resin. No, no, no. Love is smoldering. It's long, burning. It doesn't go up in flames. It doesn't get angry. It's like that. Love also, he said, is trying. It extends grace. It extends mercy. It's just the nicest factor, you know? But love is nice. Both those, by the way, are descriptors of God himself. God is long-suffering. He withholds His wrath, right? And He's, He's kind. He extends mercy. Both of those things, by the way, according to Romans chapter 2, and verse 5, are intended to call us to repentance. kindness of God Now see negation What love is God? Love, verse 4, does not envy. And it's not a competition with other people, other people in the family. There's no rivalry going on. Who's better? Who gets to do what? Paul calls that out because in chapter 3, verse 3, I'm just going to let this with that trip run, honestly. Because in chapter 3, verse 3, he calls them out and says, You all are envying each other because of I'm on team of I'm on team Peter, and all that. Remember that? Love doesn't do that. Love is not envy. He goes on to say, love does not boast. Literally, love is not all puffed up. Which is what he says they were back in chapter 4, puffed up because of their gifts. Then he says, Love is not arrogant. Does he mention arrogance in this letter? Chapter 5, verse 2. He says, You're arrogant about not only. You don't know, like tolerate sexual immorality in your race. You're arrogant about it. We're open. We're affirming and all that stuff. He calls her out on it. Love doesn't do that. Then he goes on to say, Love is not true. I kind of think that the old King James actually translates that a little more powerfully for us. Love does not behave unseen yet. Or, or, or maybe even say love does not behave it's stronger does not does not behave disgracefully love doesn't behave shamefully that's what they were doing there remember chapter 11. remember the wives in the church of corinth some of them were disregarding the headship of their husband and the way they retired themselves in that culture Remember that they were acting shamefully and how both Men, women, in some cases there, as we read out of this text from 1 Corinthians 11, were actually shamefully, we would say a modern part of cross-dressing even. failing to, to observe the distinction by divine design in They were acting unseemly also in this communion. Latter part of chapter 11, remember this? How the wealthy were flaunting their wealth in front of the poor who didn't have much to eat at supper? They were disgracing. That humiliated them and despised God. Love doesn't do that. He goes on to say, no, "It does not um, insist on its own way." None of us have a problem with that, right? My way, or the more subtle form it is. I think we should do this way because I know that love does not insist on its own. Then he goes on to say, "I don't know about you, but you dial it in. It is not irritable. What is that about? It means touchy. It's like you know, walking on eggshells. You ever been around somebody walking on eggshells? Right? Ugh! Can't say anything. Who's going to get mad? They're so easily offended. now in today's culture, we have categories for people to know how they should be offended, right?" Love isn't like that, it's not touchy, it's not, I the to walk you, you're not so easy to touch love, I love this next one, love is not resentful. They don't want to give you the number line of language, it's kind of interesting, logismite, logic, or to deduct, or to count, or to tally up, and then count bad or evil. It literally means, love does not count evil, it doesn't keep a list of wrongs against somebody, we do that, don't we? You want me this way? And you're only this way, and you're on me this way. It doesn't keep a tally, a score sheet. It doesn't do that. Love does not keep a list of wrong I think we're going to say love does not rejoice at wrong Like, when you hear something bad about some, somebody, oh, yeah, that's right. That, yeah, that's right, was not coming from a place of love, right? Because it doesn't. Love goes on to say, verse 6 positively, rejoices with the truth. Heard somebody say, if you never tell anyone the truth of the gospel, can you really say you rejoice in the truth? That's a fair question, right? Love bears all things and ideas with other people. It believes all things, it seeks to think the best about them instead of the worst. It hopes all things, it wants the best for people, and it endures all things, it doesn't give up on people. Now, let's do an exercise right here. This is, this is going to be all of us participating. In what I would like to do is read verses 4 through 7. And i would to invite you, as I read, every time we come up with the word love, or if you're referring to love, you your name. In. Okay? Can you do that? Can you do that out loud? And if you can, least you know, say it silently. I think it's going to win. Land. It's winning on me. All last week. Here we go. Mike is patient. Come on, do it, <laughs> oh. Mike yeah. is yes, patient. patient and kind. Mike does not envy your Mike does not agree Mike does not Mike not irritable or resentful. Mike does not Now, how do you feel? (laughs) Like I'm killing it? No? Aren't you having that Isaiah chapter six moment? Like I need to get some sackcloth and ashes (laughs) on my head and more in the dust for repentance, right? Anybody here say, "Killing it, baby." I'm the person of 1 Corinthians 4 or 11, or 4 through 7, 4 asked like that? No. But check out the sweetness of this. Check out the sweetness of this. Let's fill in Christ. Let's read aloud with Christ, okay? Verse 4. Do with me. Christ, Christ is patient in right? Let me let the right. follow up you just think about how patient Christ is, right? Yeah. With our failures, with our sin, yeah. with our always murmuring, always forgetting his faithfulness in the past, right? Always doubting him, right? Always saying, I mean, we don't say it, we think this is viable. I Bible, the want to run the universe like this, right? Yeah. A lack of gratitude in him. He is not that pine branch when we think that way. We're that way with other people, right? Well, pine branch, it's older to He's And then it goes on to say, well, let me, we're put Christ in here. Christ is kind. Think of all the gifts he gives us. He gives you, he gives me, that we, it doesn't even, it flat out doesn't even register with us, right? we just so washed in that." He gifts us and gifts us and gives us and gifts us again and again. Christ is not envy or boast. Christ is not arrogant or rude. On, this one right here. Christ does not insist on his own way. Yeah. Remember the garden? The cross looming before him where he would absorb the wrath of God being served. And what is he? He's sweating great drops of blood. And he says, "Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me." Any person with the same mind would say that. But then he goes on to say, "Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will." Love oh, does not insist on right? You see that? So beautiful. We in Christ. He goes on to say, "It is not here irritable." And I love this. Not resentful, remember, which means does not count evil. doesn't keep a list. See, Jesus is not up there spreadsheeting our sin against us. Rather, he suffered in our place for us. He ain't spreadsheeting; he suffered. He wasn't following us. Once and twice and twice. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19, God in Christ was not counting our sins to us, But rather, verse 21, he made him who knew no sin, Christ, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Let me ask you, are you perpetually keeping account of other sins against you mm-hmm. God has feared your account of sin against sin. You take the worst person Forgive them everything that they ever sinned against you, you won't begin to forgive them as much as God is God. Christ, Christ is, is, is this. Christ is not here who resent Christ does not rejoice at wrong well, point this one He does not rejoice at wrong. Remember, he meets over Jerusalem. You remember that? When Jerusalem rejects him? He doesn't rejoice and say, Well, you know, God's and so never gonna be the good thing. They don't do that. He doesn't say, well, you got what's coming to you. You want to reject my grace? No. He weeps. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that, that killed the prophets. How often I would have gathered you to myself as the hand of the truth but you would not come. That's the heart of Christ right there. Reading on. Christ rejoices with the truth. Christ bears all things. Christ believes all things. Christ hopes all things endures all things. This is Christ right here. In other words, 1 Corinthians uh, 14, I'm sorry, 47, Jesus. He is the man of 1 Corinthians. Christ Christ doesn't say, family, I would die for you. Christ says, I died for you because I love you. Again, 16 times, the And not only did he die for us because he loves us, because of his death, it says in Romans 8, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ. This is is the logic of the cross. He says, Paul does in Romans 8, for I'm persuaded. Are you persuaded of this? Really, don't make this just a calendar verse. Are you persuading your heart that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ? Neither death, nor life. Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor hey, this is a junk, junk word expression, nor anything else of creation, shall be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Lord. Do you believe that? Amen. Soak in that. This is Christ for us. And if you have never received. Why not, right here, smack dab, in the middle of Joy Road, in the middle of 1 Corinthians Come to him. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and i Take my
1: Give him your
0: sin and receive the gift of his righteousness and walk with him all the days of your life. And for those of us who haven't, or maybe you just did, God wants us to express the love that he's expressed to us through his son, Jesus Christ, right? So we see, number one, love is essential. Number two, love is expressive. Very important. just love is everlasting. I love this last paragraph. Now, this is kind of where the debate begins, a little bit. And I, I, I want to deal with it quickly so we get the big idea. The big idea is the first three uh, words of this paragraph. Love, verse 8, never ends. It never ends. Literally, it never falls down or never falls apart. I'll come back to that. In comparison to that, verse 8b, as for prophecies, they will do what? Pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will Pass away. So the big question is: Okay, if prophecy is going to go away, tongues are going to go away, knowledge is going to go away. What's the question? When? When is that going to happen? Let's read on, verse nine. For now we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So those gifts will pass away. When the what comes? Perfect. The perfect. Go with me? Now, there's two views of that. The one view is called cessationism, and that believes that some of these gifts have ceased. They say the perfect that has come is the Bible. Now, let's be very clear is the Bible perfect? Yes. Yes. Yes, the Bible is perfect. Written by man, but ultimately written by God. Every John of Jesus said, not one job of Jesus. Okay. But the Bible is perfect. That's, that's, that's not a question. I don't think that answers that question. I do not believe in cessation. Just so you know why i understand the scripture. The other viewpoint is this. Uh, this is as simple as I can. Well, of, of what the perfect is, is given down in the verse of Dr. I. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, read that for me, would you? Face to face. What is he referring there? What are referring to? We'll see face to face. Right. Say it again? Right. Yeah, his return, right? Then we're going to see him face to face, man. You know, mentioned that? 1 John chapter three verse two, we love it. now we are the children of God. It doesn't yet appear what we will be, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is, face to face. So I believe that all these gifts are operative according to God's economy until Christ returns. In fact, He kind of draws out some illustrations, two illustrations in verses eleven and twelve, um, to show that our knowledge of God now. Is quite a bit different than our knowledge of God will be then when He returns. First of all, in verse eleven, he uses an illustration from childhood. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But I became a man, I grew up childish ways. And I think we read that verse negatively, don't we? But really, what he says is this: childhood behavior is completely appropriate when. Um, yeah, in the same way, by the way, the analogy these gifts are perfectly appropriate right now until we reach our full abode as the Lord and return to Christ. That's what he's saying. I think that's validated by the next illustration of verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been. He's using the imagery of a mirror. Now, mirrors back then weren't like mirrors today. I wish, as I look at my face in the mirror, I wish I had get like mirror back right? <laughs> <laughs> but you couldn't see yourself that well. It was polished metal, polished bronze, or grass, or something like that. So it was not a perfect reflection like you get in a mirror today. And that's what he's saying, using the mirrors of that day. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. We can't see everything perfect. We all realize we recognize we don't know a lot, do we? We don't know a lot, right? God has given us truth to know, but we hardly know everything. I think we all just kind of inherently know that. We don't know that. We don't know everything. That's why we have the gift to help us grow in maturity in Christ, with Christ be formed in us as we're sanctified. But one day, it's going to be awesome. We will know as we are known. That's what it says. That's the return of Christ. Now, go with me so far. Yeah. That's my viewpoint on that. Expand on that a little bit next week and the week after. But regardless of what your viewpoint is, I will say this. I'll think you uh, repeat this. What this means is, is that all of our spiritual gifts are bible Perishable. Temporary, right? They have a shelf life. They have an expiration date. But what does not have expiration? What is not temporary? No. What is everlasting? Love. That's what he began by saying. Love never ends. See, when God draws the curtain on history, the only thing that's going to be left standing on the stage is love. Love abides. Love remains. And according to verse 13, even in the greedy now and now, love is the what? Christ. The greatest. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is. No. now. Is faith important right now? Yes. You better believe it. Faith is how you get into God's kingdom. access accesses the work of Christ on the cross and His resurrection. Him dying for your sins. You get by faith for sin, right? Or by grace you can save your freedom. Not that it's just God. Of works in the world. So faith is super important right now, right? Hope is really important, isn't it? Yes. Hope is the evidence of things not seen. Hope is that thing that motivates us to keep moving forward as we walk through the valley of the shadow of the darkness, present darkness, Ephesians 6.18. So faith and hope are really important, but what he is saying is even right now, while they are still operative, the greatest is God. And one day... Faith will be no more because it will give way to sight, right? Seeing people. Hope will give way, but we won't need hope because reality will come to pass. And the one thing that will be standing is love. For all eternity, the Gospel Transformation Bible says, we, the appropriate response to the mercy received in the gospel, we have received in the gospel, will be love." You go to Revelation chapter five. you hold us all, that's all that's standing. the words explained. What does everybody do? Oh well, you're cool. On the next thing, what do they do? They worship him. I mean, everything in all creation worships God out of love and awe for the work of Christ. Love never ends. And as I said just a moment ago, literally never falls apart, never falls down. So I think it additionally means this. I think in eternity. Every expression of love in the gritty here and now and will not be seen as a empty gesture. A wasted effort. A waste of time. An unappreciated effort. No. Those expressions of love will never fall. They're forever and according to Christ, the mark of a Christian is that love. Remember when Jesus said in John 13, John 13, he says, I, I give I leave you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you.
1: And then that one
0: verse I think we all know, the world will know you're my disciples if I want to put in so many smart-aleck answers that we can act like that. You no, know, the world will know you're my disciples if you want. we have love for one another. And as we express love in the way we use our gifts and just love in general, what we do is this. We preview and picture the eternal kingdom of God and the only thing that's going to be spend those days is the love. I, I read. I read a, a story Um, A man had been married to his wife many, many, many years. In their later years, she got Alzheimer's. The Alzheimer's got so bad that as he carefully and lovingly took care of his wife, she forgot. She, she, she lost memory of who he was. You heard about that, right? Something I Lily doesn't even know their spouse. Of, of a quarter century of 50 years, Literally didn't know that was her spot. But, but even more, over time, after she forgot that it was her husband, she began calling him the name of a boyfriend she had before they ever met. Her. You can imagine that. I don't think I'm good about that. I don't think most of us are get good about that. She referred to him as a former boyfriend. And you know what that husband did? He continued to love her and care for her the oh, isn't that the love of christ right there isn't that using wasn't that him using his gifts out of love to serve his life now let, let's be honest loving people and using our gifts to love can be really tough right Can is, is this compassionate to you anybody
1: let us start with this church has
0: anyone ever in this church rubbed you the wrong way and your answer is no, you're not part of the church. <laughs> <laughs> your spouse ever rubbed you the wrong way? You don't me that Facebook management stuff. <laughs> <laughs> your kids ever rubbed you the wrong way? Your brother and your sister ever rubbed you the wrong way? A real close friend ever rubbed you the wrong way? Come on, right? on it's It is. But then, toughness of love is the real test of real love, isn't it? When that person is not, they ain't no smoldering or long, man, you're nothing about a pine branch right now. When you're not kind, right? When you—when that person has been keeping the list against you, when that person has been touching you, eggshells, to anything. When you have every reason to be here, somebody, I think it was Danny, who said, When the tough gets going, love gets going. I like that. When the tough gets going, love gets going. So, with this, this is key. I'm going really close with this earlier. Really the only way we can do this is not only realizing it's Christ for us, and so we saw that. He is, he is the man in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 7 but also as Christ in us, our union with Christ. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life of John, I live in the flesh. I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave me I want to do something with you right now that I hope you will do for the next six days. We have, I just kind of walked through 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 I explain the words. Then I then I then we put our name in, and we're like, oh man, I'm done, right? We, did you have that response? Oh no, after we put our names in there. And then we put Christ's name in there, we're like, oh yeah! Praise God. One more reading. Christ in us. Which means, you know what? I can. not I can't. Not because of me. I'm weak. I'm carnal. I'm the Christ in me. So, would you read that aloud with me one last time? In the place of love or in Christ. Christ in me. Christ in me is patient and God.
1: Christ in me does not
0: envy the host. Christ in me is not arrogant. Christ in me, in me does not exist in all the Christ in me is not irritable or irritable. Christ in me does not rejoice at all things, Christ in me bears all things, believes all things, holds all things, endures all things. This is the way of life. <laughs> love is... No matter what you say, how you pray, what you know, what you do, without love, love is essential. Number two, love is expressive. There's things that it does do, and there's things it does not. We tend to feel the Spirit. Christ, He he lives out. Well, God resists the proud, right? But he gives grace to the home. It's not that he's not powerful. He's all powerful. In fact, when we just say, God, I don't want your power. Okay. Okay. okay, And he's hard and hard and hard and hard. hard sure, sure, sure. So, what a beautiful thing.